Good morning. It's good to see all of you this morning. And I especially want to welcome our visitors who are worshiping with us. We love to have friends come and share with us one of the greatest moments that we experience each day, and that is coming apart to worship God. And if you are a visitor, you know immediately you're among friends because you become one of us immediately in coming into our church. We are glad you're here. And for any of you who may be newcomers to our community, we invite you to make this your permanent church and become a part of our family. I saw a cartoon in a magazine recently, showed a beautiful white house sitting on a green lawn, surrounded by a white picket fence. There was a porch that reached across the front of the house and on the porch were two rocking chairs. In one rocking chair was seated a grandmotherly type woman rocking back and forth with knitting needles in her lap, a ball of thread rolled about her feet at the paws of a little cat that played there. On the lawn was a hand-lettered sign which read, Enjoy the simple life, $2 an hour. And the empty rocking chair sat waiting for the first customer to come by. We all crave the simple life. Read about a man and his wife who were coming into the latter part of their middle ages, middle years. They had both been most successful in their work. She was a stockbroker and he was an attorney. Most of their time had been spent building up their professional lives, little time for each other. They managed from time to time to get off to a mountain retreat and now coming along in the years of their life, they came to a decision. He closed down his attorney office and she closed down her brokerage firm, sold all of their assets, sold their home, went out into the wilderness and bought a beautiful place on a mountain lake and there they built a mountain cabin, leaving their friends behind with the pledge that they were going to discover the simple life and enjoy the rest of their years. The simple life is not so easy to come by. The simple life cannot be built on the outside. The simple life is a discovery that comes from within. The simple life is not to be deprived of things that most people enjoy and yearn for the simple life is not the same as a deprived life. And so often we think of a person living a simple life as one who is denied the privileges and the opportunities that surround modern day families. One can live in a remote mountain region with the barest of necessities, creating their own Walden and have a most complicated life, simplicity being the last word that would describe their kind of living. And one can live in the midst of all sorts of activities, caught up in responsibilities, moving all the while from one opportunity to another to serve. 
and be possessed with a serenity and a peace within that can only be called a simple life. A simple life is what we discover on the inside, not what we create on the outside. There's always someone who's wanting to come up with some statistical data. I applaud them because I can quote their data without having to do the research myself. But I was amazed to see where someone had researched the past hundred years to come up with this conclusion. One hundred years ago, there were 50 necessities that a person must have in order to enjoy a full life. Now, 100 years later, there were over 200 such necessities for one to enjoy a full and happy life. More than that, 100 years ago, there were only 200 things that caused one to feel deprived that is normally experienced in common life. Today, 100 years later, there are more than 30,000 such yearnings in order to have the full life. If that be so, how more difficult it is to discover how to live today than it was 100 years ago because of all the discordant voices calling from every side saying, you're not happy, you're not fulfilled because these are the things you don't possess. These are the things that you have not done. So easy to look into the lives of others and yearn for what they have. How so often they look into your life and yearn for yours. There's such little stability in becoming accommodated to the life that we have, the resources that we possess, and making it a fruitful and happy life. Of all the myriads of things that are calling, trying to take our interest and our commitment from one thing to another, they can all be reduced to two criteria. The simple life can be defined by two things what we live for and what we live by. Let me tell you a story that comes from the times of Mark Twain. When the river boats raced up and down the Mississippi River, there was one river boat called the General Robert E. Lee. It was the pride of the river, beautifully designed, glistening in the sunlight, a power beneath it could drive that boat up and down the river with greater force and speed than any other boat. And the river captain was so proud of the record of the Robert E. Lee. It had never been outraced upon the Mississippi. But there was another boat that had just been introduced to the river, known as the River Queen. It had a reputation of being more powerful more beautiful, faster than even the Robert E. Lee. And the captain of the Robert E. Lee dreaded the day in which he would be forced to race that boat for fear that he wouldn't be able to measure up to its reputation. But as all riverboat stories go, the day came. The Robert E. Lee had just pulled out of the port in Memphis, loaded with salt pork to be taken to the port of New Orleans. 
They had hardly found their place in the river when word came that the River Queen was bearing downstream and the race was about to begin. He sent word to the engine room to stoke up the boiler to get a full head of steam, prepare for the race, and so they did. Enough fuel had been put on board for a natural trip downriver so that most of the space could be given to the cargo. And so it was only a short time until all the fuel was burned up. They had kept ahead of the River Queen, but they had burned up all their fuel. And now the boat began to slow and the river captain looked back and here came the River Queen bearing down on the Robert E. Lee. And so he sent word to the engine room, throw on the furniture, burn everything that's loose and build up a head of steam. And so they raced throughout the boat, bringing chairs and tables, ripping loose what, what wood they could find that could be fed into the boiler. And so the steam built up again and it began to pull away from the River Queen. And the captain fancied now that he had outstripped the contender for the crown. But even the furniture being burned and what loose boards could be found soon was used up and there was some distance yet to go. And so he turned to his mate and said, what is our cargo? And he answered, salt pork. And he said, that ought to burn good. Throw it on the flames. And so by crate after crate, they began to feed the salt pork to the boiler. And it built up a head of steam and it pulled out ahead. It raced down the river and New Orleans came into sight and the River Queen was left behind. And they pulled into port and there were the wagons waiting to carry away the cargo that had been brought. But when they came into the dock, they won the race, but they burned up the cargo getting there. What a parable. We burn up so much of what's inside us in just winning the race on the outside. Jesus warned us against that. He said, what does it profit a person if they should gain the whole world and burn up their souls? What are you willing to give in exchange for a burned up soul? Well, the stories are myriad of giving up what matters in order to win our races. The things that we live by. Jesus taught us three things particularly that we must live by if we're to have the simple life. We must have faith. Oh, we all have faith, but it's what our faith is in that matters. Many of us have faith in our work, faith in our employer. We have faith in the gifts that we use. We have faith in our nation. We have faith in time. But Jesus did not talk about these things. It was not a means of importance to him. Faith in God. Putting our faith in God. Putting our lives in God's hands. It's the first step that we must take toward discovering the simple life that brings fulfillment. The uncomplicated life that deprives us of so much faith in God, a willingness to take God at his word and the things that he has instructed us to do, both in Old Testament prophets and in the mouth of our Lord, Jesus revealed the mind of God in ways that we can live by. 
to put faith in the things that he taught us. We cannot put faith in the things of the world that are deceitful. Put faith in God. Believe him. Take him at his word and design your life according to the teachings that he shared with us through Christ. Jesus taught us to accept grace. Grace is the key word of the Protestant church. It is that word that allows us to recognize that there's a limit to which we can go, but there's no limit to which God can go. And it is God's grace that allows us to become not our wills, but God's grace. John Wesley was a master at the interpreting grace, and he found that grace emerges in three ways as prevenient grace, that beautiful expression of God's grace to the undeserving person when he doesn't even recognize it. We speak of it most often as prevenient grace in children who are not yet able to recognize the difference between right and wrong, that God through his prevenient grace keeps them in his love and doesn't let them be lost from his love until such time as they can accept it for themselves. But it's expressed too in the lives of those who refuse to recognize God for who he is. It is a grace that stays there simmering, waiting. A grace that when awakened will bring rejuvenation and new life to any person. And so God remains in the lives of those who shun him through prevenient grace. A statement from God that says, I'll never let you drift to such a place that if you come to your senses, you can't find your way home. We live by a prevenient grace that says God never wearies and never leaves. But then we don't stay in that state of relationship with God. Hopefully we don't stay in that state very long and we enter into Wesley's second grace and that is justifying grace that is God's way of saying, you can't measure up to what I want you to be. You can't pay for all the grievances that you've caused, but I'll accept you just as though you can, just as though you have. God justifies us in spite of the fact that we can't do for ourselves. And that's good news. Good news to a person who realizes that it is an impossibility for me to measure up by my own resources because there is that person in me that is constantly doing what I don't want to do. There are those thoughts that settle into my mind that I don't want to think, and there are those appetites that prick away at my consciousness that I don't want to yield to. We grow so weary at times from our inability to measure up, and God says, but you have. Because of my justifying grace, I'll accept you just as if you did. And he causes us to become what we couldn't be by ourselves. And then Wesley tells us the third grace, sanctifying grace, that enables us to become perfect even when we're imperfect. 
that enables us to be better each day than we were the day before, not because of our piety, but because of God's love. He enables us to do within ourselves in growing and maturing and nurturing, which we physically are unable to do, but by the power of His Spirit within us, we do it. We can leap over a wall because God gives the spring to our leaves. And this is what we live by, faith and grace and trust. Trust God. Trust Christ. And reserve your trust for those who deserve it and not those who will betray it. That's the simple thing to which life can be reduced, what we live by. But equal to that is the importance of what we live for. We all have dreams, dreams of walking with giants, building empires, of having places in the world that people respect. But these are all artificial goals and dreams because they all topple. These don't exist on the inside. These are the exterior goals. It is that for which we reach within ourselves is what matters. What are we living for? Let me put it simply, succinctly. The only thing matters is this. We live to please God. You don't have to enter into a deep level of theological thinking. We don't have to search into those myriads of tomes that seek to interpret. All we need to do is say, I want my life to please God. Paul did. He awakened us to this possibility that when we had lived our full life up, that God would say, well done. And that's what we're living for. And that's the simple life. The things that we live by and the things that we live for on the inside. And now this. The simple life is not geographical not in some remote mountain cove, nor on a seaside or on a mountain stream. The simple life is not found on a country lane lined with wildflowers and birds and buzzing insects and the warm sun's rays. The simple life can be lived on the heaviest thoroughfare in the teeming crowds in the largest cities because the simple life is the life we live inside. And there are no windows to stir and disturb. The simple life is the life with Christ.